You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. For the long shot, I would mention, CeCe probably can guess who I'm going to mention, is in love. Uh, I've been high on this horse since since the race last year at Keeneland. When that horse sat on the rail, and when they, I think it was Joe Talamo aboard that day, he said go, and that horse exploded down the stretch. Brandon Jaggers. Yeah, you got to use in love. Uh, he's coming into this race similar to the way Ivar came into the race last year yeah. for the same barn, Palo Lobo. I would use him. And me, CC brought us. Some like it hot brown of the lead. Tell your daddy and in love running on. Tell your daddy in love, in love coming forward. Space Traveler late run. In love has the lead in deep stretch. In love striding forward for Alex Ashard to win the Keeneland Turf Mile. Everybody, welcome to episode 74 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast on an unseasonably warm day in the Commonwealth. Uh, we just celebrated a big weekend here in Kentucky, uh, huge stakes races, also uh, followed up by a Kentucky victory over LSU. I'm sure my counterpart, Alan Schneider, had uh, as good a day as anybody. Is that correct? I had a pretty good day Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I, I've said it a million times. I, I love horse racing. I don't get me wrong. I love Kentucky horse racing. I make no bones about it. I'm unapologetic, as I've said numerous times in my love for Kentucky horse racing, but Kentucky football is at my heart. And, uh, I've been going, I'm 51. I've said that a million times. I've been going to the games for 30 years, but since I was a kid. I have endured an inordinate amount of heartbreak, misery, failure, but, uh, Kentucky has been a bit of a, had some nice sleeper teams in the last few years, and they've kind of put it all together the past couple of weekends. So I'm excited. There's a big game coming this weekend, if people haven't heard about it. Uh, to say that they're up against it is an understatement. That said, it's a chance of a lifetime. We'll see what happens. Of the five uh, stakes races last Saturday, Golden Pal, Bell's the one, uh, Rattle and Roll, uh, the, the other one's eluding me in, right now. In blowout, love and blowout, blowout, and in, and in love. Who who were you most impressed by? Oh, uh, give me give me rattle and roll. I, I'm just a McPeak fan. I just think McPeak's just on a roll. I, I go on and on about it. Uh, I I love the way that that horse was one of the horses in the race that had been successful at two turns. The, uh, the maiden win was incredible. Uh, such confidence, Brian Hernandez showed. And his maiden win just a couple weeks ago, and then again on on Saturday. I, I mean, it's too early to start talking derby talk. People do that all the time, right? But uh, at the very least, uh, Ken McPeak once again has a very nice late blossoming two year old uh, that can go around the ground and rattle and roll. So give me rattle and roll. Well, Brian Hernandez, who's a previous guest on the show, is uh, he's really been in back. his own lately. It's, oh, he has. He and McPeak, yeah, yes. Yeah, he's he's riding out of his skull. So. Uh, we'll give him props, uh, rooting for him every, all day every long. Every move he makes is, every move he makes is perfect. He's like the most professional rider. And he's, um, you want to say he's a thinking man's rider because in a lot of ways that can be, um, a bit of an, almost an insult. But no, he's, he's, I mean, he really knows his, his trade. He applies his trade well. And he's right as anybody in the state of Kentucky, if not nationwide right now. So this Saturday and, and of course Sunday of, of, a big, a big weekend of horse racing here. In Kentucky, of course, Saturday is the, the Queen Elizabeth II Challenge Cup. 
and Kentucky plays Georgia, number one ranked Georgia. What time is that game again? 3.30 or in Keeneland parlance, about the sixth race. That's great. <laughs> okay, so uh, we've got a lot of handicapping to do, and to, to help us, we've uh, invited a, a, a new guest. <coughs> Alan, why don't, you, uh, why don't you introduce our guest right now? You bet. Uh, well, we've been blessed. To have a wide variety of the Twin Spires family of racing, aficionados and experts join us on air. We've been very fortunate in that regard. They've all been great. Joe Christofek, Ed DeRosa, Vance Hansen, can't say enough about Vance Hansen, Gary Palmasano. But you guys tell me and see if we didn't just save the best for last today because we had Scott Shapiro in the auxiliary gate house and he is here to give us some help at Keeneland on this second week of racing. So we do appreciate Scott stopping by and with that said, how are you doing today, Scott? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Sounds like you've had some uh, great guests uh, over the time that the uh, podcast has gone. I know that it continues to grow and just excited to join you and uh, excited for you, Alan, to have uh, Kentucky football rolling at the same time as uh, Keeneland. It's amazing, isn't it? It's not something I'm accustomed to. Uh, but right now, I mean, Keeneland has to take a back seat to me. But... Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're going to talk about these races. That's why Scott's here, everybody. But uh, I know we're a 23-point underdog, but if we were to win that game, they're going to Atlanta. But, again, that's a big if. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get back to Scott. <laughs> As we mentioned, Scott, Keeneland is open. It's been going for about five days now. Have you had the opportunity to get down a bet or two or six or ten? And if so, have you been faring pretty well so far? I have gotten down uh, the over – over 10 would be a cashing winning ticket there. I've, I've bet, uh, you know, just about every day so far in one form or the other. A lot of seconditis. I uh, have not fared overall well. Uh, my life and death was uh, reliant uh, on opening day on Aloha West. That didn't go oh. well. Yeah, that was tough. And um, today, meaning uh, Thursday when we're recording, I needed the uh, the Wilkes horse that ran second to the favorite Olympiad yep. name escaping me at the uh, Milliken. Um, that you know, so second itis losing to some favorites, but that's part of the game. And uh, good racing there. Nice to be back on the turf with Churchill's uh, course being renovated, and uh, looking forward to uh, another good weekend of racing, especially Saturday. Yeah, you actually, before I get any further, you actually made me remember the, the all tur uh, turf pick three that Keeneland's got going on. I've only thought to play, believe it or not, as much as I've talked about this, I've only thought to play it twice so far, and I have not cashed yet. I've come close. Uh, have you uh, jumped into the pool yet in the, in the all turf pick three? I have. I have not loved any of the sequences. To agreed, the point where agreed. I, yeah, where I've taken big shots, if you will. The thing is about it is, and, and why it's such a good wager it, it, to me, you know, at least compared to what we're used to and it's just a change up is you kind of need to have a strong opinion or else you're really just kind of playing, you know, a two by one by two, something like that, because the three dollar denomination really forces you to take a stand at least or two unless you're, you know, playing a monster ticket uh, against favorites. Um, but I do tend to like this one coming up on Saturday, which we'll talk in a little bit. And I just love the idea that the team came up with over there, something different. Something away from, you know, these, it seems like all the denominations get lower and lower and I get it to some extent. It allows a lot of people to play pick fives and pick sixes and whatnot, which is nice. But, uh, it also allows people to overspread and not really truly handicap every race. And with the bigger denomination, you really have to, you know, handicap every race or you're either throwing away a lot of money, um, or overspreading one way or another. 
Uh, you, you, I couldn't have said it better myself, Scott. That's why I'm excited about it is people have a tendency to overspread. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I enjoy handicapping. I, I feel like a lot of times people just trust your handicapping more and take a stand. I think this is going to force people to do that though. So I hope everybody gets to get down and I hope they, they take a swing at it. And again, like everything else, take a nice solid swing when the time comes up. And I hope everybody uh, wins. I need to remember to do it this weekend. So I'll be looking forward to what you say about uh, the sequence later. Uh, before we get going into that stuff, let's talk a little bit about uh, your background, uh, Scott. Uh, first off, I want to mention you are the co-host. In addition to everything else that goes on in your life with all the little uh, things you have going on in the fire, Inside Churchill Downs on ESPN 680, I believe, correct, mm-hmm. on, on Fridays. That airs on Fridays, and uh, people can find it anywhere. I bring it up because I'm a big fan of that. I told you, I really enjoy the show. It's Kentucky, so I'm all for it, and it's my running partner on Saturday morning, so I want to make sure people know about the Inside Churchill Downs on 680. Yeah, thanks. Uh, me, Darren Rogers, and Kevin Kirstein, both from the uh, communications media department at Churchill Downs, feel very fortunate to be joining them each week. Uh, no one replaces them, but uh, it was John Asher, may he rest in peace. Right. Um, and, uh, they brought me in after that, uh, you know, so very honored to be in that position. And yeah, you can find it, uh, like you said, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN 680. Or it's, uh, we, you know, if you follow me or ESPN 680 on Twitter, uh, it comes out in a podcast form. Like it sounds like you got, you were able to, you know, listen to it on Saturday yes. mornings, which is a nice added bonus. It gets me through those last couple of miles, my, uh, fat old self <laughs> trying to get through and stuff. So I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if people know this about you, Scott, but you were—you said you were born in Southern New Jersey. You're, or basically Philadelphia. You're a guy from Philadelphia, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, but most people, when I say, you know, when you say New Jersey, associated with whether it's, uh, you know, Newark, New Jersey, being near New York, maybe. Um, uh, you know, that kind of, that side of, the, of, of, or that part of New Jersey where there is a southern part, more suburban for the most part, and it's right across the bridge from Philadelphia, kind of like you would think of southern Indiana with yeah. Louisville, kind of like that. I would be about 20 minutes into southern Indiana where I grew up, so that's, that's accurate. Well, it's, 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 it's interesting to me because you're an East Coast player being from, from Philly, and then you're a West Coast player being, being the SoCal guy, right, from Southern California, but you're a Wisconsin fan. So explain to us how that works, to be honest well, with you. Well, I grew up my first 18 years in New Jersey and then opted to uh, go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison for my undergrad degree. So that's how I ended up being a Wisconsin fan. Only lived there for four years. Loved it in Madison, but Wisconsin wasn't going to be a place I lived but uh, uh, for life. But did live in Chicago for the first year after, which was a great experience. Moved back, lived on the East Coast for a while. And then uh, ventured to, to uh, a couple other places before California, North Carolina, and Denver. And then uh, as I decided to up my ante in this business, uh, I left the music industry, uh, which I worked in for a number of years. Decided to uh, take this a little more seriously after my website and Twitter accounts started doing well. Had a couple real good uh, years gambling and was able to make the move. I moved to Southern California to uh, kind of make this my life, and I uh, was fortunate enough at that point to get uh, some more work from Horse Racing Nation, which is also here in Louisville, and mm-hmm. uh, continued to work on my website from there. But that kind of explains how I have all these different parts of the country that I appear to be from or rooting for teams in or, you know, follow the racing in, which uh, I can say that it's, uh, I'm tired of moving, but all the experiences have been great, and 
fortunately, in uh, 2015, 2016, one of those years, or maybe 17, Ed DeRosa brought me on as a uh, uh, part-time member of the uh, of the Twin Spires team, which soon elevated to be basically a, a full-time role as a contractor. And uh, one thing led to another. I moved to here uh, right be- moved here right before the 2018 Derby with Justify, and uh, here I am. Well, I'll tell you right now, we're obviously glad to have you, but I've got to backtrack just a little bit here in that answer. And you probably know where I'm going. You said your music career. So rapper, rocker, what, what, what's, <laughs> explain that to me. Business side of it. I, I, I oh, damn. My, musician <laughs> myself. Yeah, a little free, you know, a little, uh, little rap here and there in the shower, maybe. But, of course. <laughs> but, um, but no, uh, I, I manage some small time musicians. I work for a company. That put on some uh, fifteen thousand to twenty thousand uh, person two to three day like festival type events oh. four to five times a year. Incredible experience. Most of what I did was managed uh, kids that thought they were um, probably a little bigger in life than they were. Um, so it was a lot of babysitting. Uh, so I decided to opt out and uh, babysit myself in, in life much more for a number of years. So. Oh wow! I, I honestly did not know that. That's fantastic. You didn't have anything to do with that fire festival, did you? You didn't have anything to do with that, did you? <laughs> that was after my time in the industry, but uh, that's that was something else. You know, you you definitely deal with a lot of, you know, much like all walks of life. But the music industry, you definitely run into um, some. Uh, we'll use the word shady people. Um, yeah. But douchebags. Uh, you want to say douchebags? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Definitely uh, run into a lot of people that you don't miss when you're done. Uh, that's awesome. Um, well, you're a big, you're a big football guy. Big, you like to wager on on the games, and uh, you're really good at it. Um, so, one I asked you off air: NFL or college? Which do you prefer to wager on? Which is easier? Which is more? Which is more compelling to you? Because to me, it would be college, but I am biased because I live in a college state. So, what do you think? Well, I certainly can understand the attraction of college football, especially either if you're a person that uses kind of a model or analytics, you know, you don't have to take as much time to watch all the games and also just more opportunity. And as we were talking about off the off the uh, air, you know, there's a little bit more of a have have nots type feel, whereas in the NFL, you know, the line between the best and the worst teams, other than maybe one or two towards the, you know, either side of the spectrum is is so small that on any given Sunday, as they like to say, anything could happen. I've just always been an NFL guy. I had Eagles. I'm not I'm not a fan of any team anymore, but as a kid, I grew up going to Philadelphia Eagles games, regular season, uh, had regular season season tickets, Randall Cunningham, Reggie White, those yes. days, if anybody remembers those Eagles oh, yeah. teams. Yeah. So I was just always more an NFL, and I guess I would say, you know, being in Kentucky, Allen, you know, you're in a, you know, you're a fan because it's, you know, your state. Well, in Philadelphia, there's not really a big college football team, you know. I mean, there's Temple. People latch on to Penn State, but that wasn't for me. But so NFL was always big, and I just love the kind of the parity that the NFL offers, and I uh, always find it interesting that there's really, you know, other than the Patriots, or the, which are the exception to the rule, you know, there's a lot of, of change year in and year out. You know, obviously there's teams that are good for a couple years or, right. or longer, but you don't see a lot of repeat Super Bowl winners. You know, I, I really enjoy that about the NFL. So I lean NFL. It's a hard game to win gambling on, like just about anything, but I, I just love it so much. 
Well, that brings me to two questions with that now. So one, being an Eagle, I assumed you were an Eagles fan growing up. So are all the stories the rest of us hear about the Eagles and the games and the brotherly love that's shown in those games, are they true? Is there really a jail cell? Was there really a jail cell at the bottom of Veterans Stadium? Is yeah, that what we hear? Was. Yeah, really? I believe there was. I believe there was. I mean, that as far as I mean, that's where I went to all those games, and I always heard the same thing. And um, yeah, and that's kind of what turned me. You know, I don't hate the Eagles or anything, but I kind of wanted to get away from you know being known as as someone that fits in in that world. And believe me, there's plenty of very great people that are Eagles fans. I mean, a lot of them are my family and friends, but. You know, when I left the area, I kind of saw it for what it was, and it really bugged me. And I just kind of, you know, gradually, you know, ran, you know, went away from being, you know, so into the teams, and and just slowly but surely, uh, one Philadelphia team at the time. And I haven't lived there in so long, and I just kind of don't really have any teams in pro sports, which makes it easier from a handicapping perspective to not be, you know, no bias. Yeah, yeah. no bias, and one way or another, you know, you know those people that. You know, love betting, you know, love, are always very pro their team and can't see them losing and vice versa. Especially in Philadelphia, people tend to be overly negative about their team and think they're, they're worse than they are. So I avoid running into things like that and just, you know, it just isn't as important to me anymore to have a team to root for. I can get excited, you know, watching any sort of game. Um, yeah, I'm sure you got excited back in 2015 when your Wisconsin Badgers knocked us out of the tournament. Wait, that was the greatest I, 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 moment of my life. I, I'll give you that. I don't get upset about that. I thought that was, I thought they played an amazing game and they deserved to win. And I, uh, Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky, my God. But, uh, we got lots of, yeah, Kentucky was undefeated that year. Wisconsin knocked us out in the final four. And as often the times in Duke somehow is like, uh, Duke won the championship simply because they were that, that horse that sits in third and watches the yeah. two, the real champions duel each other on the ground and they, they picked up the slack. Do kind of slop their way in their national title that year because of it, but uh, I think you'd agree with that, right? The two yeah. best teams. That- yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I'm glad that you're seeing the Wisconsin team for what it was. I hear a lot of folks. No, they were great. I love Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, we got really lucky to be competitive at that level for the number of years we did. We got Frank Kaminsky, who was Player of the Year that year when he was six four. We recruited him. He was, you know, he came to our school. He was, you know, an afterthought. And then he just kind of grew into his body, but he had that like, you know, semi, you know, guard, small forward mentality. And you, you know, he could draw, draw big men out, you know, on the, on the perimeter. And he was just a godsend. Decker was like one of our biggest recruits ever. He, he wasn't quite as good as he t- was, you know, he's supposed to be, but it all came together in that tournament. In that game he was. He <laughs> was. In that was. Game. He was unbelievable in that game. And, uh, yeah, I totally agree. Duke sat the trip. We, you know, as a as a fan, I know how much that game meant to me. They we got the players got back to the hotel. You know, it was a celebration, and we had them beat for 32 minutes. And I think our legs just, you know, yeah. we had like an eight point lead. So I agree with you there. Duke's at the uh, pocket trip when Kentucky and Wisconsin, you know, kind of dueled up front. I agree. I agree. So you know, we got a, your football waiter experience. Now I have to ask you about my team on Saturday. There's a 23 point spread, Kentucky and Georgia. It sounds a little high, but you're the expert. I mean, who do you take? Does Kentucky have any chance? We're out two defensive linemen. I I would be lying if I say I've been able to follow college football this year like I would like to at any sort of level. I would trust your opinion in, in the game more. Um, but I I just yeah I, I have no opinion in the game. But you know I think it's 
you know, you, you, you've talked a couple times about, you know, the spread and, and obviously it would, I mean, would this be the biggest win in Kentucky football history or is that too, too far? Uh, oh, well, from what it would mean, from what it would mean, uh, long term, yes, it would. I mean, they, they beat LSU when they were number one team a few years ago and then they've had a lot of good moments of late, but by far this would be the biggest win from a, from an accomplishment standpoint. But, uh, we'll see. I kind of have a feeling I know how it's going to go, but that's why he's <laughs> right. That's why they run the races. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I tell you what. Before we get in, one more time. Before we get into uh, we get into the Keeneland stuff. Breeders' Cup comes up in three weeks, and that's out. And you're part of the neck of the woods, out in your hood, uh, former hood, Del Mar, right? And I will readily admit to you that I am not a West Coast player. I don't bet California racing. I mean, I know about Flavian Pratt and Umberto Raspoli. But I don't, I don't play a lot of California racing. It's just, it's one thing. It runs too late for me. Uh, I'm old. Uh, before we, before the races are even run out there, is there any tips, anything you could tell us about Del Mar that like some track thing or something like that that would maybe help guys like me have a little edge going out there into an unknown uh, spectrum when we run in the Breeders' Cup in three weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think for the big races, the, the, the rails will be, well, I know the temporary rails will be in. Delmar's turf course is, is narrow compared to many. Um, so when they take the temporary rails and put them out, sometimes it's very hard to make wide sweeping moves, but the rails will be in. And when they are, I find Delmar's turf course to be as fair, in fact, as any and maybe difficult to wire a field out on if it's any sort of honest pace. I mean, you you know, a lot of these races kind of, you know, I don't want to use the European, you know, they run like European, but a lot of them are, you know, run from, you know, uh, when they turn for home, the real running starts, if you will. So don't be afraid to play closers um, on the turf yes. course. And in the main, on the main track, you know, I think it'll be a good idea. I, I don't know exactly what day they start running out there. You, I know they usually start at least one day before Breeders' Cup Friday to like test everything for the, for the meat, you know, for the, the, the production and whatnot. So I assume there'll at least be a Thursday card. Maybe it starts earlier, but, um, there's some days where, you know, the outside and off the pace can be very advantageous. Now, whether that's the case, for a big day, we all know we see these speed favoring racetracks, you know, souped up racetracks a lot on big days. But I'm hopeful that we get one of those outside favor, you know, off the pace favoring racetracks at least one of the two days because I think that would present some real solid opportunities. But just keep an eye on that because it's not like, you know, Santa Anita can be very speed favoring in general. Obviously, every track, you know, can be speed favoring at times. We see it at Churchill. We see it at Keeneland and whatnot. But Del Mar oftentimes has not played good to inside speed. So just something to keep an eye on. I can't guarantee anything, but I think it would make for some real intriguing races if uh, it wasn't speed favoring. Well, I hope you're right there because, generally speaking, as a horse player, the best days of player when uh, there's no bias or actually even, even favors closers. I actually think that's easier, but that's just me. Uh, so I hope you're correct in that regard. Uh, CC, what do you got for Scott before we get into this Keelan card? Anything? Well, real quick, Scott, I want a quick education on how you would play a uh, typical NFL Sunday. I mean, is it uh, money line or, or do you play spreads or you play teasers or well, I don't even know what a teaser is. Or like, a, <laughs> like, a, like a three-bone teaser that you get at Famous Dave's or, or do, you, do you play parlays? How, how do you play a, a day at, at, of NFL games? You know what I've learned over the years, CC, is play as few games as possible. Um, 
it really is tough to be right in a lot of these games. Like we've talked about a minute ago and off air, you know, the, 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 the difference between the, the haves and the have nots is very small. And I would argue that 30 to 40% of NFL games against the spread, at least, are in one form of another luck. Um, obviously wins and losses with money line bets, you know, it, it might appear that some teams get lucky, but we know that good teams win, bad teams lose. So the first thing I would do was, is, is try not to be an action junkie, try to be able to enjoy games without having action on some of them, and then really narrow it down to a couple of plays. I definitely don't love teasers to, um, to answer what there are, you know, you generally get six points. Uh, it, it can vary, but the, the old school teaser is you get six points. Uh, taken off multiple sides of, of a game and then, you know, it looks very good to the eye, but when you go back and look, normally you would have hit a parlay and you didn't need the six points or you whiff on one side or the other and you lose anyway. You know, playing a parlay if you're just looking for action can be fun because you get a lot of bang for your buck, but it's a tough game. I mean, it's just, you know, you could think of it like a pick four or pick five. That, you know, where you, you can't use multiple horses, you gotta be right in all of them. Now granted, they're two horse races, but, so it's a little bit different, but I would say, you know, what I try to do nowadays is pick a couple games I like most and maybe hit them a little bit harder. And then if I'm just looking for some fun, you know, cause I'm watching the games with my buddies and don't really have strong opinions, then pulling out a three, four team parlay where, you know, if it's my day, uh, you know, maybe I can, can, can get, you know, get a nice, payday uh without spending too much on the days where it is not my day which is going to happen a lot do you use a lot of stats in your selections like you know like before we come on there you're talking about tom brady's like 0 for 10 against the spread on thursday nights is that i assume that plays a lot into what you what you do I'd say to an extent, I think you got to be real careful. Just like horse racing, I guess I could give a good analogy. When you see trainer stats with small sample sizes or that just don't make sense on why they might be, and you're like, well, that's great, but but why is that? You know, is there a reason? So after I see a stat, no matter if it's racing or football, I kind of want to try to figure out if there's a why to it or if it's random, right? Like so it's stats for first-time trainers with first-time starters – I don't think that's random. I think on a given day it can be random, but overall there's a reason why Wesley Ward wins, you know, a lot with first time starters and Ian Wilkes doesn't. It's because Wesley Ward strives to win first out. He's, he's all about getting his horses to break well from the gate. While Ian Wilkes is just using it as an experience for most of his horses, They're, they can win on talent alone, but it's not his goal. Same could be said for stats with football. Yet, like, oh, for the stat you brought up that we were talking about, Tom Brady, 0 and 10, his last 10 games against the spread on prime time games. Is that random? I would argue it is. You know, I mean, maybe you could make the case if he's missed, if he's not covering by a, a point or two, that it's because the lines are inflated because the public want, doesn't want to bet against a guy like Tom Brady. But if he's not covering by 10 points in a lot of these games, I would say it's kind of random. Obviously, the guy's not a choker at this point. So I think taking the stats and then asking why, um, if you can answer with the why, then I think a statistic can be very useful. But overall, with horses and with football, I tend to try to rely on my eye and my knowledge of the game or the way I watch a race first. And then I dive into the analytics with horses. It would be, you know, the thoroughgraphs. I use optics EQ. Um, and, you know, I look at some of the Brisnet stuff as well. You know, with football, I look at some of the analytics, but I try not to get beaten down by them and, you know, kind of trust 
what I might have as an advantage having watched football for so long over others. All right. Well, with that said, let's uh, dive into Keeneland's Saturday card. It's a 10-race card uh, capped off by the Queen Elizabeth II Challenge Cup. Uh, and we're going to lead off with race six. This is the first leg of the late pick five. Scott, this is a mile and the 16th maiden special weight for two-year-olds on the turf. And the morning line favorite is number four, Curbstone, at two to one for Brendan Walsh. And Ricardo Santana is riding. This uh, son of Street Sense set the pace in his second career start and then faded to finish second at 14 to one at Belmont in his last start, his second career start. He makes his third career start here on Saturday. Scott, uh, are you for or against the favorite? What do you, what do you think about race six? Well, I wouldn't be one bit surprised if this Colt wins in his third lifetime start, but I can kind of poke holes in him. First off, he hasn't taken any money, which isn't a major concern for Brennan Walsh in New York. I mean, we've seen him win at big prices in Kentucky with first and second time starters. But what was most alarming to me is this horse popped the gate in that second start where he ran second. You were talking about CC and had things his way, 24 and 3, 49, and gave way. And normally losing by half a length wouldn't be all that concerning, but it was a six-horse blanket finish this race. And oftentimes those races tend to be races that are, you know, horses that are races that aren't super live, and that's why there were six horses hitting the wire together. If this horse was 6 to 1 or 8 to 1, I, I probably wouldn't be as concerned with that fact. But since he's going to be the clear favorite in here, I thought he was probably worth taking – a chance against. So I, I would definitely lean against if you have, you know, prices you're, you're keying in on later in the sequence, I can understand using defensively. But overall, I'm going to take a chance against them in the pick five and in the uh, Keeman turf pick three, which starts here. Oh. What about well, you, Al? <laughs> I was hoping he'd give me a, give me a point of that because I agree with him on curbstone. Uh, the pace was slow. It was a small field. You, you had Saez and Saez couldn't close the door uh, on this field. And this horse, because there's a lack of you know, uh, competitors in this race, it seems like. You're, you, I think this horse can be favored by default. Am I crazy about playing him? No, i got to be honest with you. He may win. He's, he's going to be over bet in relative to what everyone else has accomplished or the fact they haven't raced. So I, I see this horse going up at 7 to 5. Do I really want this horse at 7 to 5? Uh, not really. Uh, who tempts me is, you know, my man McPeak and Hernandez, but this horse, Wicked Genius, the 11th Street to one the morning line. Uh, I felt this horse to be better stretching out, and I wasn't crazy about the Kentucky Downs race. I don't think that was a great field that he he run a nice race in, but it's Kentucky Downs. The horses, the horse that keeps well coming from Kentucky Downs. Maybe this horse on a stretch out get that seat that fitness. This horse has been longer before. Maybe Hernandez just says go. And this horse wins by default. Again, I'm not crazy by anything in here. I I, I like horses last week in each race. I, I don't love anything in here. I will make a default selection to Wicked Genius. I got a couple prices if you want me to throw them out. Yes, let's have it. Let's have Absolutely. it. <laughs> I think number three, Tonkawa Springs, is interesting. This is the second-time yeah. starter for Andrew McKeever. Hits just at 11% at Keelan over his last 251 starts, but his ROI is $2.32. This horse has been gelded since his last start. You don't see Andrew McKeever get a lot of $210,000 horses mixed in in those 251 starts at Keeneland. So I think it's probably one of the more talented runners in his barn. 
And this horse screams two turns. That first race at Ellis was a pretty good group. Uh, Great Escape, who finished second in there, came back and won impressively at uh, Churchill Downs and then came back and ran in the uh, Breeder Futurity uh, last weekend on that big car that you guys talked about earlier. So I'm definitely going to use Tonka with Springs. If you're looking for an interesting pedigree play, not a guy that wins first out that much, but uh, number two mom's moon, Rusty Arnold. Uh, this this uh, son of kittens joys. I have to analyze it. Who, if you remember, is a Chad. Oh Brown. yes, yes. Yeah, Nine hundred thirty nine thousand dollar earner. Two for two at the age of two. Broke the maiden in at, in New York and then went out to Del Mar um, for the turf uh, festival uh, on closing weekend out there of the fall meet and won the Cecil B DeMille, which is the big race for the two year olds. Um, won that race. Ended up, you know, kind of not. Had some good races after that, but you know, and, and earned a lot of money, but really was good at two. So I could see throwing that horse in. I don't know if we'll get fifteen to one if the horse is live. And then the the third horse is Big Woo. Doesn't really scream two turns on the turf with the pedigree, but I found it interesting that Tyler Gaffione picks up this mount for Joe Sharp. They don't team up all that often together. He rode the horse to the outside, Camp David, in the last start for. Uh, for Rudy Brisset, uh, who he's, you know, ridden a couple of live horses, would have been very easy to get back on that horse. Um, so just a little bit of an intriguing kind of connections look there for a uh, horse that doesn't necessarily scream pedigree, but uh, has the connections and, and, is, and should be a good price. So those are the three that I'm most interested in. I like it. Uh, I, can I change my selection, CC? Because I wasn't crazy about it. I like, I like what he said. <laughs> Plus, I think Big Woo, Big Woo, I believe, is probably named after – a former University of Kentucky basketball player, uh, uh, Wukaj Orbzit, I believe, seven footer we said. I'm guessing that's who this horse is named after. That's just a little side note. And quite frankly, this can be, this race runs about five minutes after Kentucky Georgia kicks off. So if we're not down seven nothing at this point, by the time this race runs, I'll consider a victory. <laughs> CC, you like anything in here? Yeah, you all went over the ones I, I like. I, I really like Tonkawa Springs a little bit. I thought I went back and watched that workout. Back in uh, April at the Ocala, I, I thought this horse looks like a runner, but uh, he's got a, a sibling that finished third in her debut at Woodbine on on their big uh, one of their big cards. I think last month. I think that horse got a shot. I'd give you another one just if you want to spread. Is number six Bikel for Kelsey Danner. Kelsey Danner's really making a name for herself uh, this year. This uh, this guy's the son of Byron out of Grot. Uh, Grot has produced old time hockey, Chelios, yep. a couple of nice runners. Uh, you know, it, it might be worth a, if, if you think the race is going to fall apart, you, you might, you might include this one, but like, you know, this one's probably going to be better down the line, but he's worth a look if he gets played a little bit. So I don't know. Yeah, no, good pedigree there. Old time hockey was a turf router that earned over $600,000 for Glen Hill Farm, who actually bred this horse. And then you had Chelios, who uh, was also Glen Hill Farms, was a promising uh, dirt sprinter early in his career, earned uh, over 350000 So there's definitely some things to like there. I would add real quick, you guys mentioned Tonkala Springs. Number one, Andrew McKeever pops with a lot of young turf horses. He he is completely underrated as a turf trainer, especially with young horses. And James Graham has been riding exceptionally well so far in the early in the Keeneland meet. So there's one little more plus on the side of Tonkawa Springs. So I wish I wish this horse and you guys luck in this race. Yeah, it'd be a great way to start the uh, pick five and the turf pick three. Let's get Tonkawa Springs home to get it started and get the blood flowing a little. Sounds That's good. good. 
Okay, race number seven, maiden special weight for older fillies and mares. Mile sixteenth on the dirt. This race is terrible. Uh, it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it these these races always come up bad. I think this time of year. Uh, Scott, the favorite is the on the rail number one, Big City Mama for Shug McGahee, Tyler Gaffleyon. This horse has never come within double digits lengths of the winner in any of her four starts. Uh, what do you? I'm sorry, I, I labeled the the morning line favorite wrong. No, the favorite's actually number two, Sovereign Appeal, eight to five for Brian Lynch, who is zero for seven lifetime, uh, coming off a third place finish to Dame Cinco. Uh, Dame Cinco in the, in a race at Ellis, uh, back in the end of August. Uh, Scott, what, what do we do with these types of races? Well, I'm, like you, I'm not overly excited about the race in general. I think one question here will be who can, who can send and get to the front. Not a lot of speed on paper. Um, of those two, I probably prefer Sovereign Appeal, uh, because since the addition of Blinkers, he, she has gotten better, but man, seven tries. Um, but has been closer. You, you nailed it with Big City Mama, CC. I mean, this horse, you know, you look at the run, you look at the PPs quickly, you see a second and two thirds. Ah, oh, this horse is consistent. It's just a matter of time. Never even close. I mean, just been dusted in those races. So that's not a horse I'm excited about. In terms of wagering, I definitely look to number seven, B-Rate, as my top play. Um, this is a second time starter for Reed McGahue, who I think won his first Keeneland race. Definitely won a race on uh, Wednesday. I think it was his first win there. He hasn't had a lot of starters. Obviously, you're going to have a lot more to come. But he won it with Florent Giroux, and he gets Florent Giroux back here. This horse took quite a bit of money on debut at Ellis, gone off at 7-2 to two, um, on September 4th there towards the tail end of the meet. And when they, when you see that this horse broke last, I mean, this horse completely missed the break. So Showed some ability, I thought, to run a little in the middle stages that doesn't really show up in the running lines and then just tired. Didn't seem like Giroux persevered. But Giroux getting back on this horse, stretching out, I think he's going to be aggressive out of the gate like he likes to be. It won't take much to make the front. I don't think we'll get 6-1 to one because this horse kind of is that, like, you know, lone horse or one of the lone horses in the field that might have a little bit of upside. But uh, if we get like seven to two or four to one, I'd be very interested in, in potentially gambling a number seven B rate. B rate's pedigree is interesting too. I think the damn Orate is a half sister to Pulpit, who won the Bluegrass Stakes way long time ago, back in the nineties. Yeah, and I think may have been favored in the Derby. But uh, Alan, how do you see race number seven? Much the same way Scott does. Uh, I think it's interesting. We have Reeve going against Shug in here, right? Uh, this is a father versus son in this race, correct? Yes, it is. And I can confirm that Pulpit is a uh, half to our uh, siblings with or eight. So good call there. But, uh, yes, that's his son. That's so, and the, the dad, the dad's horse comes from far back and just kind of passes tired horses. Kind of makes me feel like, and this is Claiborne. Makes me feel like that first race was just a gimme race, and this horse does not have to be that good <clears throat> to win this race if they send. These minus 60 races at Keeneland, they provide some wonky results. I think what we saw last week, horses sit in the pocket uh, with safe ground. If you were wide, you were going nowhere. <clears throat> or if you're on the lead uh, in these type races, it, it helps to be up close, it seems like, particularly early meeting these in this short, these short set races. I would be like to sent. I would not be surprised if this horse wins again by default because I don't think these horses are that good. Sovereign appeal has never impressed me that much. This horse is going to get bet again. He's going to get over bet because of his 
a few good races on the program. He's never really threatened to win, in my opinion. So why not take a shot with uh, Berayton here? It's Claiborne. They probably want to win. I would give a little look to South Georgia. Uh, the three horses, as Scott said, got to find horses with some upside. I don't know if this horse has that much upside. If you toss the last start at Ellis, the race, his debut at Ellis was pretty good. That was Palm Cottage, uh, Streets, Stern Side. Southern, I can't remember the horse. Southern State, Southern, I think it was that Dale Roman's horse that won. Yeah, Dale Roman's. And up and coming star, which I believe is Steve Asmussen, if I'm not mistaken. I think those three took the majority of the wagering that day at Ellis. And Palm Cottage was a heavily bet Brad Cox horse. Has not done anything since. But this horse did make some, make up some late ground and run fourth on debut against three horses that you know, were better than, better than she was. If you toss it, if toss the two turn race, this horse might send as well too. And Robert Medina is one of these under the radar trainers who's really kind of Turned my head and in, in initial going his first couple of years as a trainer. So it's Corey Landry won a race like this last week where he just sent in one of these mile of 16th races. So I believe the damn house rules was a really good New Yorker yep. trained by Jerkins. I want to say maybe I might be wrong about that. There's reasons to think South Georgia could have the same upside that the rate does. So I'll look to those two and just hope that one of them catches the flyer and uh, takes off and maybe just, just goes goes the distance but at these two prices if you use these as the middle horses in your pick five or something like that it could blow the thing up so so i'm going to lean it to the the seven berate and the three south georgian and hope that one of them can can go yeah i like I the south georgia i like the south georgia used to robbie medina pretty pretty cagey at this point for sure mm-hmm. i would C-C? not leave out number six wild empress because this is a Half sister to Shebe Wild, who I believe That's won the right. House of Bodies yeah. uh, yeah. several years ago for Wayne Catalano. I, but I, I've learned over the years to lean toward the the fillies that are relatively unexposed. Uh, and you know the, the the two sovereign appeals had seven starts. The five street missies had seven starts. They haven't broken through yet. I don't know what makes me think I, I, they would break through on Saturday. But uh, I mean, for me, I'm going to use six of the seven. I, I just don't have an opinion in here. I don't like number four Rocket on board. Coming off a, a 41 second bullet, <laughs> not a bullet work, yeah, but a 41 second <laughs> half mile, a three furlong bullet. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. But uh, yeah, no, 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 no Thiago Canudo love, no Thiago. She'll be, she's going to beat me as well. <laughs> no races this year. Eh? He was, he, he, he didn't really uh, break his maiden until what, late in Turfway this months? year? Yeah. He's I an older rider. I think he beat me. Uh, I think he. I think his first. He won a race at Churchill, right? I think I was live to like four horses to close out a pick five or something. <laughs> he kept rolling down a center track. I remember. Yeah. Hey, I'll yeah. say one thing about Street Missy. As I just mentioned, uh, these two turn races so far, the horses hits the pocket on the rail, kicks out down a stretch, and has won a lot of these races so far. That's Sophie Doyle's trip right there. I'm just gonna. Say, I don't think I'm not a big fan of Street Missy. I've been burned a couple times on the horse. But there's, I tell you, Sophie Doyle likes to sit that rail and kick out the top of the stretch and wear him down. So don't be surprised if she tries that again in this spot. It, Street Missy's the probably the fastest horse on Thoroughgraph. If you, yeah. uh, but it, uh, that August first race, where she finished second to Strong Silent, but she's really gone off form since in those last two starts. So yeah, I, I don't know. This is uh, there was no beating super quick last time. There was no beating that horse was right. prime to go. So yeah, and Princess Leah. Princess Lee or Princess Leah, that that filly's okay. She's she's consistent at the very Career least. Bridesmaid. 
Yeah, but uh, you know, she was in company with that one, so I, you know, I, like I said, I could use six of the seven myself. But uh, let's uh, turn the page. Let's go to the feature race of the day. It's the eighth race, it's Queen Elizabeth II Challenge Cup, mile and eighth on the grass. These three-year-old fillies, and the favorite, and probably likely to be the heavy favorite, I would say is number. Well, maybe not number four, Empress Josephine, three to one, Raiden O'Brien. Johnny Velasquez, and she was last seen finishing closing third to blowout last Saturday in the First Lady Stakes. And this is not the first time that the O'Brien camp has made this kind of move before. They'll ship a filly over here to run in the First Lady and then wheel them back a week later to run in the QE2. Back in 2011, I believe, they did the same thing with Together. Mm -hmm. Same connections outside Mm -hmm. the jockey. Yeah, it's 2011, Colm O'Donohue Road. I believe together finished last, dead last in the First Lady. They wheeled her back a week later, and she won the race. Uh, so they're trying to do the same thing again, and she's 3-1 to one in morning line. I like a horse in here, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Scott. Yeah, I don't have a super strong opinion in this race, unfortunately. I do think... You know, Chad Brown, who's won two of the last three in here, Cambier Park and Rushing Fall, and has won three overall. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, the second Challenge Cups, holds a pretty strong hand with technical analysis, who I've underestimated a couple of times now in New York and uh, probably have learned my lesson, although I think this is a step up. And then Shonda Sara at 7-2 to coming in uh, off of a pair of wins, uh, one most recently at Belmont in mid-September. And I definitely uh, would make Empress Josephine my lukewarm top selection. Although, the one thing that's weird is the addition of blinkers after that race. I mean, I didn't really see that coming. You know, you put them on. I mean, I'm sure me doubting Aiden O'Brien is kind of silly. Um, But the fact that he's wheeling her back like this, much like you said, CeCe, after doing something similar a decade ago, is super intriguing. Um. I think it's those three, you know, it's hard to knock a horse like Lady Spite uh, Spear, who's three for three. I don't have a ton of knowledge about the field she beat most recently at Woodbine, but I think I'm pretty chalky in here, and I think I can afford to be so, just because I have some contrarian opinions in, in the races before it and after it. Yeah, we're on, we're on the same page here, uh, Scott, for the most part. Uh, I feel the same way, because I went contrary a little bit earlier. Uh, I could probably take the the name trainers in here, I'm going to knock it down to one name trainer. I'm going to go with Aiden O'Brien. I'm going to go with Empress Josephine. When I first saw the horse in the PPs, I was like, hey, this this horse cross-centered and they're going to scratch. I believe this might have been the plan all along, and we may not have known it last week. Uh, she ran a really good race last week. We, our, our guest last week, J.J. Highsell, was really high on this horse. And I will say, if this was Taylor Aptika, he even won that race last week. I might have walked away at the racetrack. But this one was flying late. And uh, I like the race. She did beat Altica that, that day. She blow out, got an easy lead, and got to within the length of the length of the winner. The top two really good Chad Brown horses. I, the fact that they put the blinkers on makes me think something is up. Again, those those were against older horses last week. These are three year olds in the QE two, so she's back in amongst three year olds. They're keeping her here a week. They must they must have loved the race. They must have got what saw what they wanted. And you have to look at this, in my opinion, as a drop in class because she's facing, you know, her own her own company. She's facing three year olds. So at three to one, I know technical analysis and is it Shanna Star after Chad Brown? Is that right? Shanna? Yeah, make sure I'm saying it right. 
Shantasara. Yeah, I believe they're good. I believe Flippin's a really nice racehorse. There's a couple of forwards in here, but I keep coming back to – I have to have a single somewhere, right? And I keep coming back to the race entrance, Josephine, and they bring her back in a week. As you said, I remember the race a couple years ago when Aiden O'Brien did the same thing. And at three to one, Johnny Velasquez sticks. I'm all on Empress Josephine here. And I, if it wins, I got to give a shout to JJ, who was, who was very high on this horse last week. If it doesn't win, you know, sorry, JJ. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to say that both of you are wrong. <laughs> oh, dear. Burning ambition, right? Burning ambition. My play of the week. Is on the rail, burning ambition for Brad Cox, Florent Giroux. Uh, this is a pure thoroughgraph play. Uh, if you read her thoroughgraph, she exploded to a new top in her last start, which is the Indiana Grand Stakes at uh, Indiana Grand, of course. And uh, she won by seven links at even money. This filly, she's not very big. She's she you could fit her in, her, in your pocket, but she's she's done nothing wrong. She's won four of her last five. If she pairs that top that she ran in Indiana Grand, she's, she's at the worst, you know, second in here, but maybe behind Empress Josephine. Uh, every metric I see says that uh, this filly won't bounce and it's Brad Cox. So, you know, his horses rarely, rarely bounce uh, off big efforts. And then she's had quite a bit of time about five weeks since that last start. So I think she's ready to do it again and she gets the rail. And I don't think the pace is going to be very fast. And I think she's going to be really close to the pace. I think, uh, uh, if, you know, anybody's likely to come get her, it might be the three Shanna Sara for Chad Brown, who's only raced three times in this country. Uh, maybe the four starts she moves forward. And then number four, Empress Josephine, of course, with the big race last, last Saturday, I think, uh, she's got a shot. I, you know, the, on third graph, the Philly I'm against is the two technical analysis. She looks really slow compared to some of these so you know uh, obviously it's chad brown you have to respect but uh, i don't think she has to win so uh give me number one burning ambition in the qe2 cup and i will see you in the cashing line right. i will tell you this that was a bit that was a big race at ellis i, I she won two back it looked like she was pressured all the way and just kicked clear she was a good thing that day so I, I believe they probably have big aspirations for this horse. So I don't blame you a bit. I would, if I was if I was going three or four deep, I would definitely include the horse. But I definitely can see the horse winning. So I'm I'm pulling for you there. I'm throwing in because of UCC. I don't have a strong enough opinion. You, you, I'm using. You That's go. why I'm, we talk through these things. That's why we do this, right? <laughs> uh, I'm usually right once a month. So this might be <laughs> let's, let's have it be this one, brother. Right, right, okay. Uh, let's get to the daily double race nine. One mile lounge race, three and up, which I've never won a race other than, uh, of course, these races kind of start, well, they start at the, uh, at the finish line and they finish at the 16th pole at Keeneland. Uh, the favorite and probably maybe a heavy favorite, number five, Ducali from the Brad Cox barn. Ducali scratched today and he's going to go in this spot instead. It's Brad Cox and Florent Giroux again. Eight to five morning line, uh, was drilled by Baby Yoda. And of course, Olympiad and Olympiad came back to, to look solid yeah. winning an allowance race today. Uh, Scott, we'll go to you. What do you think in race nine? Well, I mean, Ducali's the clear one to beat. You mentioned it comes out of that live race that was, um, given a monster figure, Baby Yoda, a uh, huge number that day at Saratoga. They battled one, two. Ducali was on the inside of Baby Yoda. Uh, I, 
don't really think he lost anything in defeat that day. It was older horses amongst the ones that he took on for the first, uh, actually he'd raced the olders as well. But then Olympiad coming back and I mean, those top two today, Olympiad today being Thursday and Milliken, I saw ran really well. I mean, that's just a, a better race than this one. You'd have to be pretty, uh, it, pretty daring to leave Ducali off the <clears throat> tickets at the very least. You know, the blinkers off move can work really well. Um, it's kind of anecdotal, but when a horse, is the speed and they make the lead and the blinkers are off. I've seen that move work tremendously. Obviously, you'd like to see it with a bigger price, but this horse is the clear one to beat. I'm intrigued by Otto, the legend, and I'm not sure if it's the right reasons because Steve Asmussen definitely does not point to the fall meet at Keeneland. It's numbers show this year and just in general, wagering on him is not a quality move, which is one of the few places. Obviously, it's hard to wager Whoa. on Steve all the time and have it come out on top, you know, because he's wagered on so much. But uh, especially at Keeneland, where he just doesn't seem to have the same numbers as he does at other racetracks. But he sent this horse kind of out of nowhere to the Santa Anita Derby. And I know that race he probably thought maybe wasn't super strong other than the top couple. And the horse got buried that day. He just hasn't had a lot of success shipping out to California. It's a tough move. And the horse was bumped early and eased. I just have to think this horse has more talent than we saw, obviously, that day. I thought he ran real well in that Oakland Park win. And uh, he's going to be on my tickets as well. Uh, and then there is the potential of a collapse. I'd be interested to hear you, who you guys like. And maybe it's, a, it's someone from off the pace. Because it does appear that uh, maybe Otto the Legend's the one that can pull it off. Maybe Flavian Pratt jumping on Trash Talking Yankee, a horse that doesn't really like to win, but always seems to run his race. And Tom Van Berg does seem to uh, produce some big prices at uh, at Keeneland when he wins. Uh, I thought maybe had a look with the rider change. I just have such respect for Flavian Pratt. Yeah, actually, uh, you, you touched on probably the two contrary horses I would probably use. Cause as I mentioned, I'll probably sing Lempers Josephine. So if I do that, I want to look a little, I want to look a little outside the box, right? That's how you make money in these races. It looks like this race, it's, uh, Ducali is going to take all the money and rightfully so. And then your clear second choice is probably going to be winner pool and rightfully so. When you play multi-race tickets, one of the easiest ways to blow one up, but it's not easy. Listen, is when a race looks to be two clear favorites, and you can get that third or fourth choice one because people try to go skinny. They yep. try to get cheap. They try to get through the leg. And if you, if you, and this is, I'm sure people know this. If you have a race for the five horse field, for instance, eight to five, nine to five, and that six beats them, the pick five blows up. The pick four blows up much more than, than the percentages would suggest. I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but if I was, this is why sometimes you want to co- single contrarily elsewhere so you can take a stand like that in a race like this. I do believe Ducali's the one to beat. I think Brad Cox, uh, the two-turn mile seems to be his jam. Uh, we know all know about what Nick Skull did in the two-turn mile in the previous couple, couple years ago, but it seems like when he sends the two-turn mile at Keeneland, those sorts of just splits the field. So Ducali's going to take a beating, and rightfully so. And Winterpool could run him down. Winterpool could run him down because uh, the horse really hasn't done anything wrong. If I'm not mistaken, didn't that horse blow the turn at Churchill? Or is that the one I'm thinking yeah. of? Yeah, no, that's yeah. the right horse. Yep. Yeah, and, and so – you, you throw that in, really the horse has three wins, uh, if you want to count, look at it that way. So those are the two you'd have to have. But Scott makes a point about Otto the Legend. And the only thing I would say about this one is in his career debut, he ran a live race at the fairgrounds. 
that was blameworthy run classic and warrants didn't warrant win the West Virginia Derby, if I'm not mistaken. And run classic was to be the second coming. So they ran a pretty good race that day. And then broke his maiden with a 98 lace pace, pace fig at Oakland. They thought enough to send a San Anita Derby at that point. Of course, it didn't go well, as Scott mentioned. But my God, look at the work tab since then. But this horse has not missed a beat since he started, went back in training in July. Keeneland, Turfway, Ellis. Every week, and I believe we have what, five, six bullets in a row uh, on the work tab going back to September 3rd. That's enough for me to one use as a contrarian play. So I will throw out of the legend in there too. Steve must think something. I'm going to put him in this spot. Is he making a beat to Collie? I don't know. Can I afford to put him a ticket and give it a shot? Yeah, what the hell? And you mentioned Flavian Pride, who I think might be the best rider in the world. Him and Louis Saez, he's on trash talking Yankee. That's enough for me to throw him in there. But again, I believe Ducali's the one to beat. Don't get me wrong, but there's a couple other opinions in here that might blow up a blow up the sequence. Uh, one note on Otto the Legend: that's a half brother to Twirling Candy. Oh my! Horse. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I think if you're spreading, you could use that one as a grow up play. We ran a ran a really nice fig back in March. Gets laces I'm, back too. He had no laces in California. Right, yeah, I think this is a uh, this is a horse worth watching down the road. Now, I will say, now I've seen that two Aspusons come back, two top horses, uh, Swiftsure the other day, who I thought was well, that was yesterday on Wednesday. I thought that was a lock, uh, and then uh, Pneumatic at, on the closing day at Churchill. Both of those horses came up short uh, in their comeback, so maybe this horse needs another start too. Maybe they're just pointing to Churchill, but possibly. Uh, but again, if we're going sequence, we're looking from a sequence standpoint. That's your maybe this is your. You know, easy blow up third third choice horse maybe throwing there. It's just a thought. But again, the race goes through Ducali winter pool. One other horse I'll throw out, guys, is Malibu Star. I mean, this horse comes in yeah. from New York, hasn't been seen for a while, but it seems must be doing pretty well for Kelly Breen to ship him into Lexington. It's not, you know, he's been working in New Jersey. He could easily stick around. My gut is he thinks the two turn mile, like you mentioned with Ducali and Brad Cox in general. Might be exactly what this son of Giants Causeway is looking for, $450,000 purchase. I think if Johnny V could sit right off the pace, and, you know, which looks like is feasible with his tactical mm-hmm. speed, doesn't need the, the lead type, he could get that trip that we're talking about at, you know, the mile, mile and the 16th races at Keeneland. It's been very kind. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Okay. And the finale. Boy, this is a toughie to end the day. It's the 10th race, five and a half furlongs. Phillies and Mares, five and a half on the turf. Non-winners are two other than. And it looks like a tepid favorite will be number four, Chili Patin. For the Wesley Ward barn, Johnny Velasquez, uh, this filly, she's four years old, but has only raced five times, has won two of them. Uh, that, you know, this one, uh, she hasn't raced since April, but, uh, work tab looks pretty decent. But, uh, Scott, I don't, I don't know what to do here. This, this race, uh, worries me a little bit. It's a tough one. I'm going to take a stance against the speed horses, CC. I think the pace looks like it should be uh, pretty hot. You've got Music City Star with Florent Giroux on the inside. You've got Chili Patton who looks like have only one way to go, and it's likely to be a little extra keen coming off that layoff you mentioned. And then you have to the outside, uh, you have number nine, Bold Figure. You've got other horses that are tactical speed types, you know, Habanero, I mean, Sarah C isn't fast enough in sprints, but her best races have come on the lead. So I'm going to lead on a couple horses here that are going to come from off the pace. My top pick being number three, Ghosting Kim. She makes her third start of the form cycle. 
for Nacho Correa. She's got a, her only uh, only start over this Keeneland turf at this distance, in fact, was a win. Um, I think the five-and-a-half furlongs will fit her perfectly, the six-and-a-half last time out. She ran well in that race at Kentucky Downs. You guys followed a little more closely, I think, than I do there. But uh, probably at least as tough of a race, I would assume. Um, and uh, I think she should get the right trip under under James Graham. In terms of even a bigger price, I think number five, Southern Mama, tiny bit interesting, uh, was, you know, chased a real hot pace on the dirt last time at Churchill, but the start before that at Kentucky Downs was probably, probably moved a little bit too early that day, uh, into a, a that, that, it's that same race that Ghosting Kim is coming yeah. out of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think could get the right trip under Adam Biskitza. And then kind of the third horse I would use is probably the most logical. The closer is number one, Social Chatter, uh, Rafael Bayerano and Vicky Oliver. Pretty uh, obvious type horse, especially if you're looking for one to take advantage of a contentious pace. Hey, I love I love his analysis there. I really do. Chili Petten is a horse that seems like is entered constantly by Wesley Ward, one of those, and runs like every nine months, and you never know what you're going to get before it <laughs> does that, you know. So, it's, it's, I mean, I guess if you're if, – if, you wanted to use him. I understand it. Um, I like a Scott selection of Ghost and Kim. James Grand rides that horse very well. The horse has won at Keeneland. Could definitely benefit from a late pace. Uh, he mentioned Southern Mama, who went six and a half at Kentucky Downs, was right there in contention, faded late. The cutback could help that horse, especially the speed duel. I did real well in social chatter last time. All those horses I would say use. Uh, but I'm probably going to get kicked off my own podcast after I make the selection. Uh, you must so Caitlin Free, JJ, Scott, if you want to put in as, as co-host of this podcast, feel free, because I'm probably not going to be on here much longer. Uh, I'm going to take Sarah C. and Wayne Lucas. Uh, I, I know it's, uh, it's a done. silly play. Right. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's one more job loss across the country. <laughs> the reason I'm taking Sarah C. is, well, you know, Lucas is hot. He's won like – he won today. <laughs> no, seriously. Um the horse's turf races are not that bad. The figures are pretty good. He cuts back, as we talked about the Kentucky Downs. He went he went long at Kentucky Downs, set the pace. Now he's cutting back. That's not a good move for Lucas. He's over 37, as, as the good folks at Bristol will tell you, going sprint route sprint. But if you look at if you look at his three turf races prior, there was a second on uh, Oaks Day, I think it was this year, Minted, who came back to win a stakes at Churchill. I thought he ran his eyeballs out that day. Uh, he comes back at Keeneland late. Nobody was beating Lady of Luxury that day at, uh, Churchill. He ran a good, a good stay on second, which she did. They wash the next race off the turf, comes back at Ellis, does not break that well, ends up ninth, which is, it says it was checked hard in the turn. That's why the horse got set so far back, but still ran on to pass five horses in deep stretch against, uh, our good friend Joe Christofex. Yes, it's Ginger. Uh, so did close a nice little ground there without Lasix. Turn, uh, turns back from that uh, that route try at Kentucky Downs. As we know, those horses seem to be fit coming from Kentucky Downs, so why not at uh, 10 to 1 in this spot? Maybe that horse sits a, a mid-pack trip and passes them late. I can't believe I'm picking the horse either. But, you know, I'm getting old. I'm starting to lose my, my uh, bearings. Senility's creeping in. Give me Sarah C. What the hell? I'm so against this horse for personal reasons. She cost me a big payday back on May. She's only 15th. won twice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, May fifteenth. She she got up to nose out Violenza. I had a like a 
like a ten dollar exacta box. Both of those Lady of Luxury and Violins was eight to one piece. Then I would have had the trifecta violins that get second that day over Cersei. So I would have had three eight to ones. That cost and, me too that day. I remember I was so pissed. Anyway, oh my gosh, <laughs> I mean it just vomit induced. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm forever against that Philly. Uh, yeah, I, I, this is a spread for me. I, I can't. I, I can't pick one over the other. I, I, one horse I will use, I think is interesting, is number seven, Limos Kunha for Eduardo Caramori. Uh, this filly ran a really nice race last time. Got a, got a nice number on third graph if she can pair that up. You know, if you can get 15, 20 to one on her, I'm going to include her. Uh, if I'm going to spread, I got to use her. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I like Ghost and Kim as well. There's just, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I, I, Chris Davis and Sophie Doyle, aren't they in a relationship? Is that right? Uh, Is that what's happening? I noticed she's riding a lot of horses for for him and gone down to Gulfstream, we, we found out. Um, I, I think that's his girlfriend, or she's his, you know. But I don't like spreading rumors. I don't know. I know Brittany Vandenberg and Chris Amy, they're a thing, right? <laughs> they are a thing. They are. But, uh, I'm not yeah, engaging. Well, I'm I not just engaging thought, at school. Uh, Florent Giroux is riding uh, number two Music City Star for Davis, and Sophie Doyle is riding elsewhere. I, I don't know. Just might be worth uh, looking into. But, uh, yeah, this is a spread for me. I, I can I have the luxury of spreading because I'm going to single uh, in the QE2, and I'm, I don't have to go very deep in race nine. So Okay. Do, do, we, do we have a winning ticket somewhere amidst this analysis? Who's your best bet, Scott? Best bet. Let's see. Good question. Well, from a value perspective, I'm I'm going to go with uh, Tonkawa Springs. I, I like that. You know, you guys were on board as well. I just think this horse is going to be the right price, and I don't think there's much in there to beat. Um, in terms of likeliest winner type horse, you know, I think Ducali probably is the likeliest winner probably. in the sequence. Um, it seems like the right spot for this horse, but. I don't know if I'm willing to go all in because, like you guys talked about, you know, this horse is going to get probably be the most popular single in a sequence. So at the very least, I'll have a backup ticket without him singled, and you know, the price just isn't going to be there. I believe I completely agree with you on that on that uh, uh, on that logic. I completely agree. All right, we got it, and uh, Kentucky Georgia score. Anybody want to give up one out? I don't want to offend you. <laughs> I'm gonna say 24-10 Georgia, and hope that you know. Well, but, you know. Since we got Scott here, can you give us a, a a Sunday play? Sure. I think the uh, I think the line got a little bit inflated on me. I'm not surprised, and I don't love the Pittsburgh Steelers as a whole this year. But one angle I like to play in the NFL is when a backup quarterback, especially on prime time at home, and people see it comes in and looks kind of good when. A, uh, when the, when the uh, starter gets injured, and, and that's what happened last Thursday. Russell Wilson got hurt for the Seahawks. He'll be out for some time. Geno Smith, well-traveled veteran out of West Virginia, came in, and he actually moved the team down the field a little bit. Now Pittsburgh's had a week to prepare. Geno Smith yes. is not any good at playing in the NFL. We, <laughs> Jets, the Jets found this out the hard way. I'm sure he's learned some stuff playing under Russell Wilson and being in that environment. But I think it's going to be a mess for them. They have a ter- Seattle has a terrible defense, so I'm willing to lay the four and a half. I think it might be up to five and a half with Pittsburgh. I, I think they win that one going away, win it pretty comfortably based on uh, Geno Smith making a ton of mistakes on uh, prime time. So, so 
would you play just spread or, or money line? Spread because the money line is just too big. I mean, I you know I think I don't see Pittsburgh losing the game, but the money line's somewhere between two and a half and three to one. I think on a, on a spread like that, so I'd be much more willing to lay eleven to ten and take my chances that they win by six or more. Gotcha. Absolutely. All right, cool. That's good info. I like that. I'm learning. I'm learning. I always like to learn. <laughs> Always important to learn everything, no matter what you're doing. There's always more to learn, right? Could not agree more. Could not agree right. more. Right, whether it be with horses, sports, or women. Uh, women, yeah. I quit wanting to learn. I just quit, you know. But uh, <laughs> but uh, no, but uh, with horses, especially, you know, I, I think uh, you know, no matter what level you're at, there's always more to learn each day. There's so much that goes into it, and that's what makes it the best baguette, you know, the best game there is. You know, for those of us that, that have the time and the desire to learn more and more, you know, there's always something to learn and to add to your, you know, toolbox, if you will, uh, each day to get better at handicapping and gambling on the races. I say it all the time, Scott. I'm with you there, man. With you 100%. All right, guys. Uh, we'll put an end to this here. Uh, Scott, it's been a pleasure as always. This is, uh, it truly has. You've been yeah. fantastic, Scott. You really are. Seriously. Yeah. It, it, there's you. absolutely nothing nothing I love more than uh, handicap these races with you guys. So uh, uh appreciate uh, your time, Scott. And uh, hopefully, uh, well, we'll see you around next month at Churchill, I'm sure. I will be there more, uh, yeah, probably every day. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, seeing a lot of, hopefully, a lot of good two-year-olds make their debuts there or maybe make that second start after, you know, an uninspiring debut or whatnot. But uh, fall meet, always fun, five days a week. And I look forward to seeing you guys and really appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun. Well, we'll be up there on in the gold room, or as I like to call it, the broadest balcony. And uh, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be looking for you very Sounds soon. Sounds good. All Thank right. You. Thank you, Scott. Uh, on behalf of Alan Schneider, this is CC Broadus signing off and reminding you the gambling money ain't got no home.